created for the MAPE community by the MAPE community. Left Unsaid is a podcast where we speak our truth, celebrate our talents, tell our stories, and explore what matters most to us. It's time to leave everything on the table and make sure nothing is left unsaid. Welcome to another episode of Left Unsaid, the podcast from MAPE. It is my honor and privilege today to be sitting with four boss ladies. Well, we're all sitting in different places right now as we record this during our COVID quarantine to talk about what it's like being a woman of color entrepreneur. And as we know, after everyone's seen the stats, when women of color entrepreneurs are great business faster than anybody else, have more businesses than most other uh, folks out there. So this is going to be a great conversation, continuation of our um, MAPE Summit conversations. And I'm excited to get going. So I'm going to stop blabbing and let these boss ladies introduce themselves. And so ladies, when you do introduce yourself, one thing um, I think would be good is to do a check-in on yourself. Um, I went to this boot camp last year and they did a check-in every time we met. And it was kind of like where you are at the moment, red, yellow, green, green being feeling amazing, red being not doing so hot right now. So I'd just like to know, you know introduce yourself, who you are, name, business you have, and then tell us where you are on that color spectrum and why. Let's go in alphabetical order by first name. Oh, so that's me, right? Netta. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Netta Dobbins. I am the CEO and co-founder of MemConnect. MemConnect is a professional networking platform and community for people of color. We give access to other diverse professionals, job opportunities, career resources, career coaches, um, and a lot more just to help guide you through your professional career. I think today I'm sitting at a yellow. Things are okay. Um, isolation is not great for someone that builds communities. So I thrive on, you know, that interaction with people. But I have my health. My family has their health. So there's really nothing that I can complain about today, honestly. Yeah, the isolation is real. Mm-hmm. For real. Mara. Hi, I'm Mara Lecoq. I'm the co-founder. <clears throat> Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm fine. I'm healthy. <laughs> I just need to like, <laughs> I have the word in French, cough a little bit. Okay. So I'm the co-founder of Where Are the Boss Ladies? And it's the largest database of senior women leaders in advertising with our mission being of providing women with role models that they can work for. We're also organizing events at ad agencies but overall, it's a, it's a resource for people to find women in leadership and advertising. And how many, how many women are on that list? More than a thousand. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. It's the power of crowdsourcing. Uh, it's, uh, it's thanks to all the, the women and men in this industry who have submitted their own bosses. So now they're easy to find. And I, I'm, I would say a green because I have other things right now that are that are also uh, occupying my my time and um, and giving me a sense of purpose. Just like yourself, Netta, you know, we we organize events as well. So right now, okay, what does that look like? So do we do we, do we go virtual? How do we differentiate ourselves? Are people developing fatigue over um, Zoom happy hours? So yeah, I think it's uncertain for for a lot of people. Sharon. Hi, I'm Sharon Lee Tony. I'm founder of SLT Consulting, and we're a boutique digital marketing agency. I've also just started my own podcast called Model Minorities. And so that 
probably should be live when this is live, hopefully. I think we're launching at the end of this week, which is very nerve-wracking and exciting at the same time. A sense um, of cross-podcast collaboration coming up. Yeah. I actually am thinking, so Mara's been on our podcast already. I interviewed Mara two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And so Mara, I'll tell you when your episode will be live. And Carl, I would love to have you on our show as well. And yeah. And Jay and Netta as well. So we're I'm I'm kind of sweeping the MAPE community. I'm trying not to make it too MAPE heavy, but um, it's it's going to be really awesome. So I'll tell you guys all about it. And as community is there for though, say that again. Isn't that what the MAPE community is there for? That's true. I know. Although I do feel like we're so my co-host is also a marketing person. So right now, when we look at like the types of guests we're talking to, it's all like advertising marketing people. We're like there's got to be minorities out there that do other things. <laughs> and there are. <laughs> so we do have other people on our show too, but definitely. So if anyone, if you guys are listening, you want to be on the show, reach out to me after. I'd love to have anybody on, on our show because we feature really interesting people. And as for what color I am today, I'd say, I think I'm a yellow green, mainly because it's Wednesday and it's like the middle of the week. And it just, I feel like the weeks lately have been years like decades, you know, and it's, it's just emotionally, but professionally, personally, all of it. I'm, we're all in quote COVID quarantine right now. And hopefully by the time we're listening, we won't be anymore, but who knows? And I've got two kids and a husband and a childcare provider who also comes over every day. So there's five people in my two bedroom apartment, 24 seven, pretty much. So it's a lot to handle. And I've been up and working since, well, I've been awake since like 5.30 this morning, but, you know, definitely like on emails and working since 9 a.m. like everybody else. So it's been a long day. So that's yellow green for me. I'm impressed that you still keep track of the days of the week. Yeah. So. It's, it's all, you know what it is? It's Google Calendar. Okay. I live like literally, like I just, I'm like, if I get lost, I feel like I don't know what to do next. I'm just like, okay, what time is it? Where do I have to be? Who do I have to talk to? <laughs> I've been waking up every morning and I'm like, hey, Siri, what's on my calendar for today? Because right. I do not. It's whatever day. It's yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. The other day I, I was like, because we, we have a Google Home Assistant. I'm like, hey, Google, what day is it today? Like literally, <laughs> no idea. One should make this with just like as soon as you wake up, it's like, it's this day. It's right. Thursday. It's Thursday. Yeah. You know. But it's true. We're so unequal in, uh, during coronavirus. There's just so many different types of situations. There's the introverts who are happy to have control over their social life. There's the extroverts who lost their jobs and live in tiny apartments. There's parents who are with their kids they love, but it's just like always on 24-7. And it's like an equalizer, but it's also quite unequal. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, right. Show, it shows the unequalness <laughs> of... It, it's the situation. Mm. So. Mm -hmm. Jai. Hey there, guys. So happy to be here with you all. Um, a little bit about myself. I studied advertising and marketing communications in New York City at FIT. I spent about 15 years in corporate America doing multicultural and diversity marketing. And two years ago, I decided to be an entrepreneur. So I went into consulting. And now I do what I did in corporate America develop and deliver diversity training for diverse employees at organizations that need to develop, engage, and retain a lot of their diverse talent. I absolutely love that. And about eight years ago, I also started a networking group, but based on career productivity. So it's a group called the Latinista, 
And I realized really early on that I was somewhat uh, lucky to have a lot of resources and tools and mentors being in corporate America. And I realized that a lot of the people that were surrounding me, my friends, my community, my circle, maybe other colleagues in the industry, they didn't really know about these resources or tools or mentorship opportunities. And so I decided to open up a networking group where every month we get together and we learn something new, whether it's productivity on Google Drive and Calendar, which also runs my life like you, Sharon. Um, And two weeks ago, we were teaching people how to use Trello because I can't live without Trello. And um, that makes me happy. Right now, I'd say I'm a yellow color. I'm sort of in the middle. And I'll tell you why. I'm naturally an optimistic person, but because I'm an entrepreneur and a consultant, a lot of what I do is in-person workshop and development training. And so women's history would have been a huge month for me and everything got canceled off my calendar, which meant um, 95% of my income just disappeared. (laughs) Thank goodness I have a great financial planner and I have savings in place, but that sucked, right? Because my next opportunity is Pride Month. And so that's challenging. I think it's been a little bit challenging with also being hired to do some webinars by organizations that have found out, oh, you know what, we're actually not ready for this webinar. Or you know what, we've got higher priorities right now, making sure that our employees are doing okay working from home or that they even have the right computers or desks. And so they go and they cancel my webinar. So it's kind of like a flip-flop right now. I'm on this great high and I'm like, oh my goodness, I just got like a huge client. And then they're like, you know, the day before we're supposed to go live, like, you know what? We're going to furlough 177,000 employees. And so we can't have webinars on productivity. And so that's been a challenge for me, but uh, I'm always optimistic and uh, I'm pretty strategic in the way that I get business and client acquisitions. So I, I make it a numbers game and a hustle game and I stay up all night and I make it happen. That's great. Thanks for sh- thank all of you for sharing a little bit about that. And Jai, you you kind of already started answering the first thing I want to talk about because I guess it was last year discovered that my mom was an entrepreneur, and because I'd always just seen her as a doctor. She's a doctor. She sees patients. She's a doctor. But she grew her medical practice into depends on who you talk to the largest in probably New England of her specialty, and then sold it last summer. And that's when I realized I was like, wait a minute, you're a doctor and an entrepreneur at the same time. And then I went back and I remembered all the stories she told me and this. And I'm like, I just got really fascinated about like, why? Why did you decide to be an entrepreneur? Especially as a woman of color when it's sometimes so hard to do that. And Jai, you touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to hear each one of your stories of that moment of like, why? Why at that moment? And most of you, Shannon, I don't think you mentioned how long you've had your company for, but I think most of your companies are fairly new as well, like within a year to three years or something around there. Same with you, Sharon? Yeah. SLT Consulting is about a year and a half. So okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. About a year to two years for everybody. So I, I'm, I'm going to leave the floor open and see you know, who wants to jump in and talk about that why moment and what it took to kind of make that leap as well. The fears, the support you needed, the, I mean, Jay, you mentioned like the planning, right? Yes, that was something that was um, first and foremost, one of the most important things that I did before I made that jump from 
corporate world, America to entrepreneurship was making sure that I understood how my money was working for me and making sure that I didn't run out. And then I had to go running back to corporate America. And so I got a financial coach and they helped me understand my income, my outcome, my bills, some ways in which I can minimize a lot of my spend. So moved out of a very big, fancy apartment and downsized into just, you know, a a tiny one bedroom. Stopped drinking lattes every day. Stopped shopping at Zara every day. I did a lot of things that, you know, whatever, they're first world problems, but something that I was used to. It was a habit that I had built, you know, living in New York all my life. And so making those sacrifices really set me up to make sure that I was successful in as an entrepreneur and didn't have to worry where my next client was going to be coming from because I knew I had two to three years in the bank and I never had to bring on a client that I don't necessarily want to work with. And so finances is something that's really important before you jump into something like entrepreneurship. I also you know, was able to do this because I didn't have any loans. I paid off my school loans. I went to FIT, not a very expensive school, 16 years ago. And so that was also a great opportunity to do so. It's really, I mean, you planned, you sacrificed some things. I think in this day and age where, you know, well, maybe pre-COVID, where, you know, the entrepreneurs, the, yeah, everyone can be an entrepreneur, just go do it. It's, not many people think about they they see the big successes but they don't think about the people like what it actually takes to do there so it's great to get that insight Neta, you want to jump in next? yeah i would say plus one to everything that jai said like i had not a couple of years but maybe a year worth of salary which was still like enough to you know live a comfortable life make sound decisions etc Stop, had to stop going to brunch. You just have to cut out some of that thing. You just have to, even though you don't want to. But that's like sacrifices are a part of being an entrepreneur. But what I mostly want to talk about is you asked us when when are you not afraid to make the jump? And I don't think you're never not afraid. I don't think you wake up one day and just be like, I have full confidence that I'm going to make this work and I'm going to make millions of dollars next year. Like that will never come. I've been doing this for a year now and I still get scared month to month or every quarter because I'm doing something new or something has happened, COVID, and I'm like, what, what is going on? Like, what do I do now? So I don't think you're never not scared, but I think at a certain point you get the confidence in yourself and in your company or your business model to know that, hey, there are people that will value from my perspective and from the work that I'm doing and I know that it's going to work and I understand that I have to make sacrifices. But I'm willing to do that. And I trust and believe in myself enough, even though I'm scared. Because um, if you're not scared, this is a quote. People say it all the time. If you're not scared, you're not thinking big enough. So every time I get that like feeling in my stomach and I'm nervous and I'm anxious, and I'm just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, is this it? I just go full force at it and we'll figure it out. Sometimes it's not it. And I have to pick myself back up and do something else. And that's completely fine because you're going to fail as much as you're going to succeed. But I think just having the um, chutzpah and just doing it is enough. And that's what really makes an entrepreneur and separates us from other people. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that entrepreneurs start off with an idea or a passion usually. And Jai, I have to say you were very responsible in the way that you approached it. 
not most entrepreneurs and myself included, I don't think have that roadmap before they fall into it. I mean, the statistics show that actually most entrepreneurs start their own businesses when they've been laid off, when they've lost their job, you know, for various reasons, when the economy changes. Like, I actually feel like now in the middle of COVID, we're going to have a lot more entrepreneurs in the next three to six months because people are now have a lot more free time, either they're being furloughed or they've been laid off. And I always find that that's an opportunity for change and an opportunity for growth. And usually the best ideas come from those situations. In terms of how I started my business, it was, I wouldn't say I was an accidental entrepreneur. I think that I always wanted to be my own boss, but I just never really knew what that would look like. And I can say this freely now, but like, I just really just wanted to get out of the nine to five, you know, like I just wanted to stop working for somebody else. Sort of like Jai, I was kind of careful around when that happened. I mean, I'm, you know, a little bit older in my career, meaning like the money was decent. So sacrificing that was actually a much bigger sacrifice, you know, 18 or 20 years into your career than if you're like three or four years into your career, just monetarily what a salary looks like and what a package looks like. But because I do have a family, I've got two kids, I have a husband, like I had to also think about all of the financial implications and the risk on them. And I think at the end of the day, what ended up happening was I was working full time, but then I was also on the side consulting and taking on my own clients and experimenting with writing proposals and pitching for new things. I had talked about this at the MAPE Summit as well. And I think that's always a fun way to discover what you're good at. Like having your full-time gig, if, if that is you know in a place where, where you, you have the luxury of having something stable and then being able to experiment with a side hustle or a hobby or a passion to see if you can monetize that is a nice way to experience both. And it kind of got to a point where my side hustle became lucrative enough that I could actually say, all right, I can get rid of the nine to five now and not actually have to make a huge sacrifice in my lifestyle or in my goals or my career going forward. Yeah, that's great. That brings up a conversation, Mara, that you and I had at MAPE Summit, where we talked about exactly that moment where the side hustle can become the main hustle or not. So can you tell us a little bit why you started you know, where are the boss ladies and, and talk about that, that moment for you. Uh, yeah, sure. And I love that, that you mentioned that because that's, that's also, you know, I think people listening, they're curious about, they're probably frustrated in their careers or looking for a sense of purpose and looking for ideas. And I always recommend, you know, just start small, start with a side hustle. Don't like try to aim for the fast company cover right away. Like start on weekends, you know, volunteer, help, you know, start networking in in the, in the field that you're interested in. And, and it, it can be like everything is a stepping stone. As for my aha moment was, I think I was, so I, w- I had been working in advertising for 12 years. I was just feeling a, a, yeah, a sense that I, I, I lacked purpose. I was burnt out, a workaholic and a, what for ads. Like, uh, I don't know, is it, is it really worth it? I read a book that I highly recommend. It's called The Crossroads of Should and Must by El Luna. If you're looking for, you know, what's next in your life. It was so powerful that uh, uh, I'll just share the, the, how, how I started thinking about it differently. One of the exercises is to write your eulogy. My eulogy was Mara moved up the corporate ladder of a giant holding company, never her, saw her family, made money, retired, and died. 
when I realized that, you know, it was a Saturday, I uh, resigned on Monday and Wednesday was my last day. And that's when I, you know, sort of like, okay, what am I doing now? But thankfully, and I think you can also find inspiration in, 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 in things that you've been doing before, we had been working on an advertising campaign that raised awareness on the lack of women in STEM. And so I started, and that was in 2014 when, you know, before like a girl and everything. And it woke me up to the issues of representation and diversity and how images impact aspirations. So before getting to where are the boss ladies, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a resource that's, that's widely used. But before that, I think we also experiment with other side hustles. So I did a, a previous side hustle called Secret Code, and it's a customizable children's book that stars your girl as a tech hero. And the way it works is that you customize the name, the skin color, and the hairstyle. So it looks like the girl you want to inspire. And then she gets a book in the, way, in the mail two weeks later about her story as a robot engineer. And, uh, um, you have it. oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember. Awesome. <laughs> and so that was based on a study that showed that stereotypes impact children's aspirations by the age of six. And so anyway, I was figuring out, am I, is this, is this my business? Am I being the entrepreneur for this? Is it, is this where I'm going? I want a grant from the Girl Boss Foundation, which was very encouraging. And I was like, oh my God, I guess I'm an entrepreneur. And before that, I was a, a creative director in advertising. So really not, know nothing about business. But what I love about America, because I'm not from America, is that people are so enthusiastic and they're like, you go girl, versus um, I'm half Filipino and also from France. In France, it's more like, uh, what are you doing? Are you sure? You, I wouldn't do that if I were you. So the, the, the positive thing is I went ahead with this, but the negative thing is that I, I learned things the hard way. So I made mistakes. You're talking about budgeting. And I was like, when you're talking, uh, Jai, about a financial coach, I'm like, oh, I should have done that. <laughs> um, and at the same time, still sort of the, the idea of role models was, was, was something I was obsessed with because of the lack of women in advertising and, and also the, the talent shortage and women leaving their careers in their mid-30s. And I realized, you know, maybe because I was hitting my mid-30s, maybe the reason why I'm disengaged in this advertising career is because I've never had a female boss. I've had 14 male bosses and zero women bosses. Maybe, maybe that's why I don't see myself. And that's where I started a spreadsheet and I posted it on Fishbowl and it sort of like traveled online and people started adding their bosses. And then we created a, I found my co-founder, created a brand, created a, a resource, a, a website. And so now it's a resource that's widely used. So I'm saying like all this long-winded story also to show that, you know, it's like everything sounds so simple. It's like, what do you do? What's your name? And you summarize yourself in one sentence, but there's like a whole construction and accidents and figuring out who you are along the way. And I think it takes so long to come up yeah. with that one sentence. Like, I, I, I don't even, I didn't even know what MemConnect was when I started it. Like, I was definitely an accidental entrepreneur. It started as a group chat because I selfishly wanted to make friends with people that looked like me working in marketing and advertising. So when people asked me what it was, I was like, well, you know, it's a community and people get jobs and we also have mm. like all this other stuff. And so you have to make those mistakes in order to figure out what it is that you're doing in order to get to that one sentence. So I think, yeah. Everybody definitely does that. And nobody ever talks about like everything that you just said, Mara. So I'm glad that you hit on all that. Yeah, I think that was, I'm sitting here just nodding my head like, yes, yes, yes. Because no one does. All we see is the 
you know, the cover of Forbes, right? You don't know the years of toil, what it took. And I actually you know, thinking that I was like, you were talking about, I, I tried one thing and that, that I really wasn't what I want to do. So I, and then I found my way here. So I'm curious for all of you, how did not like why you started, but how did you land that this was going to be the business you wanted to start? I thought Mara's story was super great about it, how she was inspired to do that. Um, and that you kind of touched on it a little bit with starting the group tech because you wanted to create this community for yourself and not selfishly. I mean, look what you've done with it now. It's been, it's doing great. So, you know, Jai and Sharon, I'd love to hear and Netta and Mara, if you want to jump in, you know, and add more, but like, how did you land on this? Like, what was the driving force behind it? So for me, while I was in corporate America, I had been doing some speaking engagements on diversity, women's empowerment, equity, inclusion, unconscious bias, just sort of naturally through my networks and conferences and events. And so I was on stage sharing a lot of what I was learning in corporate America as I was leading these employee resource groups. And as people started to hear these themes throughout, they started realizing that they didn't have an internal manager or strategy or organization or anything that was really working along those lines. And so I had a number of people reach out to me and say, hey, would you come to our organization and talk about unconscious bias? Would you come to our organization and talk about diversity and equity and what the changes are, what's the difference between equity and equality? And so I started doing that quite a bit while I was still employed. And then a number of schools started to reach out to me to give some of these classes. And because I was part of a large organization and we had somewhat of relationships with some of these uh, universities, I was able to say, I'm here representing the company, but I'm also here sharing with you what I've gathered from all of the insight, knowledge, and education that I've been learning. And so I knew that there was an opportunity to become a consultant in doing this because I saw so many organizations reaching out to me because they have it among their organizations. And I started getting called upon so much that now I was in a difficult situation because I'd get a call from like an incredible organization that would say like, hey, we're going to fly you out next Wednesday. And I'd be like, ooh, I've got like, you know, eight people on my team and I've got to run this meeting. And now I've got to tell my boss that I'm not going to be here and, and I can't post about it because then they're going to know where I was. And so I started having to decline a lot of these really great opportunities. And at the time, I also couldn't get paid for it because it was a conflict of interest because I was still currently employed by a large corporation. And so as I was doing these endeavors, number one, they were for free and I enjoyed doing them, but I started practicing. And then number two, I had to decline a lot of those engagements because they were a conflict of interest or because I had to lead my team during my full-time day job. And so I realized, you know what? I actually want to do that instead of this. And so why am I fighting to be here being micromanaged by someone who is challenging my every move? You know, we didn't have any flexibility to work from home. And so I just made that change and that decision in my mind. And I said, you know what? I don't know why I'm fighting to be at an organization that doesn't really appreciate me and lets me shine. I said, there's an opportunity and they're willing to pay me. Let me go for it. I mean, the power of sharing your ideas for free can lead so far sometimes. I don't recommend it forever, you know, but definitely getting yourself out there. 
Yeah, it's free promotion, free publicity. I believe in it 1,000%. And good networking too, right? Shin, did you want to talk about what drove you? It's funny. Like I, I listen to all of your stories and I'm like, wow, you guys really you went into it starting businesses <laughs> and I'm laughing because like, I know I have one now, but so I've always known, I mean, I've always been a marketer. I've always worked in advertising and marketing. My first, I got my start through MAPE actually. So I've been, I've been in this industry my entire career and I started off just being an independent consultant. So that's really all it was in the beginning when I incorporated the name and the company and the LLC It was really just so I could get paid you know, through a 1099. I mean, it's so like not exciting. But like I said, I had always known I wanted to start a company and I had always in my head thought about, well, if I ran my own team the way that I wanted to, how would I do it? And I had some, you know, very like values-based, more vision and purpose-driven ways of wanting to run a, a company. And we grew pretty organically. I mean, I I ended up just being so busy that I needed extra help. Like I, I was getting so many clients that I literally didn't have enough time to work on all of the projects I was getting. So then I thought, well, let me find another consultant that works in digital marketing in some way and let, let me pair up with that person. So met someone named Nina. She and I started working together. And then a few months later, got some more clients. Great. Now I needed somebody to help me with social media content creation. Found someone, uh, found a friend named Janae, recruited her. And she started doing it. So we became this like collective of consultants that just kind of kept growing and growing. And it wasn't until I was at an event. What was it? It was the Digital Marketing World Forum. And I was speaking on a panel and I invited all of them. I'm like, hey, come, I'm going to be on this panel. I get a number of free passes for my for my coworkers. And I was laughing about that because, you know, we're not really, I mean, consultants, coworkers, whatever. So I'm like, I'm going to give it to you guys. So about three or four of them sh- showed up and it was the first time they had ever met in person. So we had done a lot of stuff over Slack, over Zoom, over email, but it was the first time we were all together in person. And it was Janae who had said, Sharon, we, ne- we need to start having team meetings. I think we should get together in person and start to have team meetings. And I was like, huh, okay, that's a good idea. So we all went off and then I was like, okay, let me create this invite for my next team meeting. I was like, I'll make it a monthly thing. And I started to type in all of the people that was that were working with me on our clients. And I think at the time it was like 10 to 15 people. And then I scheduled the meeting. I created a slide deck because you know, it's a team meeting. You need a slide deck. Created the slide deck. And it wasn't until I kicked off that meeting with other people sitting around a table with me that I was like, oh my God, I have a, like, this is my company, you know, like we're working together. We're all SLT consulting and now I have a company. So it literally wasn't until that moment that it felt real for me that I was actually running a team and I had actually built this in a way that I had wanted to. So complete accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. It's like most people fall into advertising. You fell into entrepreneurship. All right. Uh, Thank you all for sharing, sharing those stories with us. But we're about to get real, about to get real vulnerable, about to peek behind the curtain. We talked a lot already about like all you see is the cover of Forbes. So I want to like pull back those curtains and I want to know what was your lowest point when you were getting these businesses off the ground? And maybe that's happening now. Maybe 
maybe it's happened a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, when you first started, but like, let's, let's talk about that low point. Yeah. I'll share one recent and then one, maybe not so recent, but in recent weeks because of COVID we have lost either lost contracts or contracts have been put on pause to the tune of half a million dollars. And as a small business owner, that's a lot of money, right? My name is not McCann Erickson. It is not Saatchi and Saatchi. Like that is a lot of money. And it was completely unexpected because nobody thought that this was going to happen. So in the last 30 days or so, it's really kind of forced me as a business owner to to think about what value can we bring to our current clients? How can I keep my team motivated? What can we do to pivot? What other things can we offer to continue to grow? And I mean, the silver lining is that although we did lose a lot of contracts, what's interesting is that some of our current clients that didn't expect to grow at this time are doing very, very well. So they've been able to expand their scope, but that's been a recent setback that, and I think we've all talked about it, when, when you are an entrepreneur, those ups and downs happen all of the time, despite how established or new you are. It's just kind of part of the adventure and it's a constant reinvention to keep up with that. I mean, you said, I think you said you were a green at the beginning. I was a, a, a yellow green. Yellow green. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for you because just hearing that put me in the red. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, kudos to you for, for staying positive and staying the yellow green. Yeah. Got to keep going. And thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's, uh, it's not, it's not stories we hear and you know, everything, even if people are, you know, want to be natural and more vulnerable, like this is real. And I think it makes listeners feel really good challenges they're going through. It's like, Oh, I I'm normal or other people have, you know, different challenges. So that was really meaningful. Anybody else want to jump in and share? I'm happy to jump in. Echoing Sharon on loss of contracts, like that hits hard, especially for small, very small teams. And I told Amara earlier that I'm still, you know, freelancing, doing entrepreneur stuff, lost some freelance contracts. So with all that, I've actually had to make a complete life shift. So I'm back in Nashville for about the next year, probably um, with my parents, just trying to work it out and just focus heavily on the business while all this COVID stuff is going around. So I think I think a lot of small business owners are getting hit hard, especially in Nashville. I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but we had like a very big tornado that ripped through the center of Nashville, basically. We are very lucky, but it actually hit like the street over from my parents' house. And it hit the night that I came to Nashville. So that night, tornado. And then I'm just like, Next week, COVID. I'm like, what? What is this? Um, so like all of that, just piling on top of each other, along with losing contracts, along with other business things, it starts to weigh on you after a while. So I think that this is definitely a low point for me. But I do, I do think that things are getting better. Like, like most people, we're thinking about other opportunities to make money beyond these big um, corporate contracts. And I think that that has allowed us to get a little bit more creative and focus on what we want versus what the companies want us to do. So that could eventually work out to benefit us in the long run, but we will, we will see. And that's a, that's a lot all in a very short amount of time. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's a lot. 
who wants to go um, next? I'll go ahead and share. So when I was starting my business two years ago now, the first thought that I had was, well, I have a huge network. I mean, I've been here in New York City doing public relations, event planning. I'm a super networker. And sometimes I go to like four or five network events a day. I eat networking for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and the after party. I'm there around the clock. I love it. That's why I'm going crazy during COVID because I want to go outside and network with thousands of people like I'm used to. But I think what was really frustrating for me when I started my business was I've got tons of connections and I know the people that are going to hire me because I have been building those relationships for the past 15 years. In the first six months, I sent out about 340 proposals. I kept track of them in my Google Sheets, the company, the name, the LinkedIn profile, which proposal I sent and when they replied and what they requested. I wasn't getting many callbacks. And the ones that I was getting were asking me to work for free. And I thought to myself, would they ask a man to come and give a two-hour workshop for executives at a Fortune 20 bank? I don't think so. And so that got really frustrating for me that some of these people that I knew for many years and even some that I didn't know that recognized that I was now an entrepreneur, a small business owner, trying to deliver value and trying to help them encourage, engage, and retain their employees, they weren't necessarily supporting me or encouraging me to continue in being a small business. And so I got into many challenging arguments and frustrating conversations about diversity, um, supplier diversity specifically. That was really rough for me, thinking that I had so many connections and networks, and I hustled hard. I sent out 340 proposals, and the one that did call me didn't want to pay me for a lot of work. And that was really um, discouraging. And then eventually, you know, the tide turned, um, and it was a numbers game after that. And understanding and knowing my value was really important. I started collecting a lot of mentors and champions that had been in this space consulting for diversity for at least 15 to 20 years. And I started learning from them how they were valuing themselves. I started helping them out and attending a lot of their workshops and conferences and saying, I'm on the right track. I can definitely do this and I can definitely do it better than this person, in my humble opinion. And so why isn't anyone wanting to pay me? And so I started embarking in having others help me negotiate as well as having those difficult conversations because what I was finding which was really surprising was the people that knew me were asking me for favors hey Jai I run the ERG at this company but I told them all about you you know as a friend can you just come in and show them what you do and then once they see how good you are I promise you that they'll probably pay you on the next time around and I was like um yeah kind of got a mortgage. Like, no, I'm good. I have a lot of money in the bank. I, I think I'm all right. But the more and more that that started happening, I was like, this is insane that the people that I know, my friends are the ones that are taking advantage of me because they feel like I can give them the friends and family discount. And so I started putting someone in between myself and them so that they would take me seriously. It was crazy. Yeah. So that was really frustrating. And now I just send out my 
my, my cost and my value. And if they don't have the budget, I'm like, okay, great. I'll send you my next proposal for the next quarter. Have a great day. You know, and I just keep it moving. I, I know I said that, you know, doing work for free could be good, but there is a point. And I think you reached that point with the two hour workshop for executives. That's no, no. Or like a fortune 10 investment bank on Madison Avenue. Get out of here. No, no way. I'm not no. that ridiculous. No, but you, I mean, you hit on, on some, some really great points in there just for folks listening, just about the whole, yeah, yeah. I got you next time. I could First off, don't it. do that to your friends. Don't do that to your friends. That's I not know. cool. And the power of no. Like you, you were able to say no to people and that's, that holds a lot of power you get to the point where you can say no. It's just, it feels, feels good, doesn't it? It does. And you know, another thing that came out of that is I realized that when I was saying no, then they were going to other diversity consultants that I knew. And some of those women were just getting started or they wanted that huge bank's logo on their website. And then they were saying yes for free. And so I started to sort of share the message that we had to work together as a collective to demand that these organizations be fair and value us and pay us. And so I was being really strict with these women that I was sort of mentoring and having come up in the diversity space as well and saying, I know you think you need this logo on your website, but you actually don't. That's not going to do anything for you. You need to value yourself. And it, it's a, a recurring theme among many conversations with women entrepreneurs these days. And so it's, it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> but we keep going. I hope the 4As is listening. I hear a, I hear a, a webinar coming on. About yes. Knowing your worth. Know your worth. Know your value. Yeah. Absolutely. And then charge tax and interest. And charge tax. <laughs> <laughs> And Jay, uh, do you have a recommendation on how to respond? Because I'm sure this happens to everyone all the time. Like, what is a simple one sentence, you know, in an email that doesn't burn bridges, but makes you, makes them realize your worth? Yeah. So the first option that I give them is, is saying, well, I understand that it's a challenge for the Women's Employee Resource Group to bring me in as a consultant for this day. But what I've seen before is that you get a collective of other ERG budgets and also ask training and development and also ask the marketing department and also ask the philanthropy department. So there are a number of different buckets of money within a corporation that they can gather funds to be able to pay me a nominal amount that they're paying men. And so usually I'll tell them to collect money from other groups. And then second, I'll say, well, tell me what your budget is. And then I'll tell you how much time I can dedicate to this and what you'll get out of it. And so perhaps I start with a two-hour workshop training in person. And if they tell me they've got a thousand bucks, I'll be like, great, I'll do a webinar for 30 minutes and you won't have access to me for much more than 30 minutes or any assisting documents or handholding. And so, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I think the question, what's your budget is a great way to level set. So you know? good. Yeah. Because it's just like, that is your way of saying I cost something like my service costs something. And if your budget is zero, the conversation is over. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Mara, you know what happened? <laughs> yeah. I loved uh, all your stories. Um, and this is a, a really good question, Carl. Thank you. 
actually, I had a really low point. I, I still have like, I still think about it. It's not for where are the boss ladies. It's my, my previous venture, which is, which is still happening. Secret code. I, uh, I was, so, you know, I was talking about how, you know, you're, you're learning on the job and it's, you know, I wish I could have, I never sold lemonade, you know, like it was just, that was my first thing I sold in my life. And then I, th- I wish I could have, yeah, <laughs> done the, like a first mini stepping stone to learn. But anyway, I, what I didn't realize is when you're enamored by your business, you become delusional. And because I had been working for 12 years, I had savings and I was like, I'm just going to put everything in it. I don't care. I'm going to, it's, you know, we're going to, I'm going to fundraise, you know, I've been meeting a lot of people in the, in the publishing industry. You know, I met people from the former CEO of Nickelodeon, uh, who also was the head of something at Disney. And I was like, cool, I'm getting all these, you know, networking, getting all these contacts, everybody's warm. What we were about to publish our non, uh, our first mainstream book, it was, yeah, published, uh, you know, and distributed in bookstores in, in the US. So like, awesome. And I was like, you know, because advertising, because innovation, I'm like, well, I can't just publish a normal book. Like it has to be something special. So I decided to create an app and it's an amazing coding game that comes with the book. It's an AR coding game that teaches kids to code off the the book cover by building their own custom robot in augmented reality 3D. (laughs) And it's like, it's like, I think I was just thinking like, can lion, you know, type of ideas. Um, but that app had a cost and it was $50,000. And I, you know, I like, I come from a family, like Asian dad, I'm going to pay for his retirement <laughs> and I'm not going to receive it much. So yeah, $50,000 is huge. It's like it's all I had left. And I was like, you know, f- I was feeling fever and, you know, I just imagine like flames in my eyes and hypnotizing signals and whatever. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And so so we did the app. It was amazing. It got recognized. It got, you know, Apple found it. I didn't, we didn't even submit it. It was like an apps we love and it got some awards and whatever, but I didn't think. And I did. <laughs> I was, I was just like thinking I was almost like, I'm going to go on this journey and I'm going to get rescued at the end of it. And, and somebody's going to help me like, you know, make this into some, a, a business that makes sense. But obviously that did not happen and I didn't think about, you know, the consequence. So I basically, uh, yeah, sent $50,000 on, on a really cool app that, uh, you know, that nobody knows about. <laughs> People know about it now. Yeah, I was right about to say that. Now we all know about it, though. <laughs> That's what the power of this can do now that we all know everybody else about to know. I'm literally already sharing it with people that I know that have little girls. Thank you you all for sharing and getting getting real with us, with us all for a moment. Because those stories are important to tell, right? We talked about it earlier. Like you usually just see a nice glossy Instagram photo, cover of some magazine, the award you got, but you don't often see the struggles, the challenges, how many times you tried something and went through it and that. So it's uh it's inspiring to hear Joel made it out past those points are currently in one which is you know is a question actually coming off of, of Sharon's story is that in this world of, of COVID where a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of you know um, small businesses are taking quite a hit how do you see well I think I have two questions like well what ways can folks support small business owners entrepreneurs right if they're not you know, you don't have a billion dollars in the bank, just 
waiting to give out. And also, like, what do you see a sunny kind of outcome or, you know, what positive outcomes can you see coming out of this time we're in? I think um, a lot of my clients are small businesses as well. So I think one way that I have been thinking about my own business is just helping other businesses, right? And that kind of, and I, I really believe in that, like paying it forward and giving it back and all of that. So some of the small businesses that we work with are are really hard hit. They are hair salons, which just, you, there's no other way that you're going to make money right now. One of my clients is an Italian tour operator. So Italy, traveling to Italy is not going to happen in the next 12 months or anything like that. And I tell you that specific, those two specifically, because what we've done with marketing is we've been able to continue to support them, whether it's paid or not paid or moderately paid, like we've modified people's budgets and contracts and things like that. But we are helping them to tell stories to keep their audiences engaged. And I think that at this time, despite what your business model is, and despite what's happening, always finding a way to show empathy to the people that you are connecting with and being able to leverage that connection is going to help to strengthen your business. So for the Italy tour operator, for example, when COVID first started and Italy was the hardest hit, even as it was just first starting to roll out in the US, the business owner, my client was already in in the mindset of, I've got to shut down all marketing. I might actually have to shut down my business, just kind of like final, final, you know, and that's very tri- typical for most entrepreneurs too. It's like black or white, right? Like, so once you see red, it's like, okay, all done, game over. <laughs> Time to like shuffle the deck and do something else. Um, and I was like, hold on a second. Your mission is to tell stories and show people the aut- authentic side of Italy. So what a great opportunity for you to be that beacon of light to the rest of the world. And he had team members in the US as well as team members in Italy. And so I had said, let's get the Italian team every day to get on social media. And I want them to talk about what's happening in the streets. I want them to to talk about what's happening in their own kitchens during quarantine. I want to see Italian recipes, authentic ones. I want to see people, you know, singing in the streets like we're reading about on the news. I want you guys to be that voice that's louder than any other voice about all the negative things that are happening there. Not that those things don't matter, but that is your essence. That's your brand essence. How do we bring that to life? And so I share that because I think with any journey, with any entrepreneur, we are always going to come up against something, you know, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's a canceled contract, whether it's a disappointing meeting that you have. And it's always coming back to what is it that you do stand for? What's your power? What's your purpose? What makes you special? And how do you bring that into the world despite the situation? And I think when companies can continue to do that, even through the face of challenges, they will thrive. All of us on this call today and and on this podcast today, I think, I don't think we ever imagined that our companies would be exactly what it is today. And whatever it is today, it'll be different six months from now or a year from now. You know, Secret Code is about to blow up. That's going to be like the number one app in six months. And Mara is going to be like, whoa, that $50,000 really was the best $50,000 I ever spent. But right now, it just doesn't feel like that. (laughs) 
right? And that's kind of the way, I think that's just kind of the way life is. I see entrepreneurship as like a beautiful opportunity to keep creating um, and to keep connecting people with each other. To comment um, on the the reinvention, I, I think, isn't it that a lot of the successful companies, they've reinvented themselves like three times? I don't know. There's like a stat like that. Yeah. I think I've read something like that. That's it. Go ahead. Net out, net out. <laughs> Honestly. I don't remember what I'm going to say. Um, I know it was about like innovation and using this time to meet and network with people. So one thing I think we're going to see, like I think Sharon said this earlier, a lot of people are developing their own businesses now. But I think that a lot of businesses are becoming innovative as well. So what technology can we use to stay connected with our audience? How are we doing all these digital events? Like what ways are authentic to us right now that we can execute easily? So I think we're going to see a lot of innovation as we go beyond COVID. And I think that right now, while we're in it, for me personally, what I'm doing is just developing relationships with people. Like I know that these companies and these new brands aren't going to be able to cut a check tomorrow because they don't have it. They're laying off people. But if we can be a resource for those people that they laid off, if we can be a resource for the people that they still have employed that are still battling mental wellness and COVID and uncertainty and what that means for them. I think that there's an opportunity there, even if it's unpaid, it's all about establishing that relationship right now. So that post COVID, like we're the number one thing on their mind because we were there when they needed us the most. Well said. Like what you said, adversity is where innovation gets started, right? So yeah, it's true. There's going to be so much going on. I had a conversation the other day with someone. So, and I'm just going to repeat what she said because it was awesome. Uh, actually, it was Cindy Gallup. So I was like, wait, maybe I should credit her. <laughs> and she's like, why don't we take this moment instead of focusing on what we've lost, focus on what can we build? So it's like you, you use, using this as an opportunity to to really redefine what's anyway not been working for a lot of people. We were talking about just, you know, just industries in general, but you know, in advertising, things have been weird since, you know, digital came. And I'm a I'm a digital advertising on that side, that's where I come from. And it's it's always been problematic. And I feel like today it's it's now the time to 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 see what actually works and what we can reinvent. Hashtag COVID creativity. <laughs> Are you looking at me? me and I'm, I'm just looking around. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting being on, on Zoom for these sorts of calls with everybody. Anyone else want to chime in? I know we're, we're getting towards the end of time, and I want to make sure I respect that. I want to say one last thing. Me and you talked about this, Carl, I think last week whenever we had our conversation. But what Mara was saying about identifying things that haven't worked for years I think we're identifying that corporate nine to five culture is not a thing for everybody. It is not a thing. And we are probably as productive, if not more productive, when we manage our own schedules, when we are in our safe space, and when we can actually find the time to dive into the things that we need to dive into without the distractions of let me go talk to my manager so they know everything that I'm doing. Let me go talk to my coworkers so they don't think I'm being like the biggest B word because I have my headphones in, you know, and I think as minorities, we always have that extra pressure on us to be like happy and deliver. And let's make sure I'm the model minority, Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think like with that, just like the work schedule and 
what a company really demands of their people and what we're able to do now, I think a lot of company culture is going to have to change, especially when we look at younger millennials, Gen Z, and everybody after that. Like a lot of that generation are entrepreneurs. They're on TikTok making money. They're on YouTube making money. So why do I need to go to college, get this degree, work in a job I hate for 10 years before I can do what I love? So there's going to be a bunch of adaptation, I guess, yeah. and innovation again. Agree. I just think the nine to five just doesn't work, period. That's all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm taking a class right now. It's a writing class. It's on Zoom. It was supposed to be an in, in real life um, writing class for like 10 weeks. And I'm really enjoying the Zoom dynamic because even when, and when it's over, I'm just going to want to just continue Zoom classes. Like, it yeah. just makes you realize it, it it works really well to do things online. And I mean, there's other issues, you know, I guess I understand that companies want, you know, their culture and, 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 and everything and like real humans involved. But, but yeah, I can't wait. Like after this, I'm like, I'm going to renegotiate work from home day <laughs> every week. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's going to be so much that comes out of, out of this period that will show that the way things used to be don't have to be anymore. And, th- and it's going to be the companies and the people that embrace that, that are going to kind of really skyrocket, you know, ahead of, of other folks. But as we're getting to the end of time, I wanted to ask one last question. And when I ask this question, it's not about how you lead teams, but it's about you as the individual. And the question is, what kind of boss are you? I think this long pause is like making all of us look bad. <laughs> It's just such a hard question. That's why I saved it for the end. I know. I'm like, well, clearly we're the best bosses, right? <laughs> or we're the boss ladies. I'm not I'm not a mother, but I feel like there's a lot of similarities between being a boss and being a parent. So, you know, I can ima- imagine how that is. You know, it's like you you want to make your child grow or your employee grow to the next level, graduate, so you're patient. I mean, that's sort of how I, I guess I, I lead. I, I like teaching. I'm empathetic. But, you know, when the kid or the person I'm managing is like not listening or, you know, repeatedly making mistakes, then it's like, you know, I, I get a bit more, a bit more, let's not, let's not stiff, but, uh, you know, we, we have a conversation. Okay, let's talk. Let's talk about this. So, so I think it's just a, a back to your question for, for me, I'm the kind of boss I am. It's, I'm, empathetic i'm 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 fair but you know if if people don't deliver up to my expectations i let them know but i also make sure that I, the expectations were clear because sometimes you get frustrated you know with how how you know the with how others behave at work but sometimes they do, they just come from different backgrounds or different you know whatever and so some things that may be obvious to you are not obvious to them so i for me it's like communication is actually would be the the key thing that i i, I do when i when i lead that's great. I'm just going to call on people now so there's no more long pauses. Jai, how about you? For me, I think being a leader has been an evolution. And I've also learned a lot from bosses that didn't do such a great job with me. Taking a lot of notes, being very structured, and also, like you said, Mara, having empathy because a lot of times I'm assuming that people understand what I'm asking for or I'm assuming that they understand the most efficient and productive way to get something done. 
And I'm assuming that they can do it in 30 minutes like I can when they've never touched that tool before or they said they have, but they really don't know how to manipulate it or use it. And so I think for me, the word that comes to mind is it's an evolution. I feel like on a weekly basis, I'm learning how to be a better leader, how to be more structured, uh, more strategic, how to receive feedback, how to have checks and balances as well, because I make mistakes all the time too. I've got a number of graphic designers and that's tough, right? Having a lot of those communications go through many hands, I should be the last one to see it and making sure that it's all right. But sometimes we all make mistakes. And so certainly learning from other people on how they lead in the most authentic and transparent way. And I think for me, it's very important to also be a friend, have a personal relationship. And if I can't call that person on a Sunday and just be like, nothing, this isn't about work. Like, what's up? Like, where'd you go? You know, did you go to Dairy Queen? Like, this is what I'm doing. You know, be able to chat about other things that aren't work is really important for me personally, because it allows me to build a relationship with that person so that they know that I actually care about their family and what they're going through and their daily lives. And it's not just me shooting off emails in the middle of the night, like, where is this? When I know that they have children. So it's, it's an evolution for me, for sure. I like that evolution. Always getting better, changing. Netta, you're hiding, so I'm going to go to Sharon. Oh, you're lucky, Netta. <laughs> <laughs> so, many, so many thoughts have come through my head since you asked that question, Carl. So I think, I think there's probably how I think I am as a boss and then how I really am as a boss, <laughs> if I were to be honest. I think when I think about so overall though, I think my philosophy with leadership, I took a class or I read a book or something. I don't, I don't even remember where this came from, but there was a quote that really stays, sticks in my mind whenever I think about what kind of leader I want to be. And the quote was, you can only be a leader if you have followers. And when I first heard that, I was like, what does that even mean? Right? Because what is like, what, like, just what does that mean? And over time for me, that means that it's really not about you as a leader. It's about the people you're leading. If the people you're leading don't see you as a leader, then you're not a leader. If the people don't see you as a great boss, then you're probably not a great boss. And I think being a business owner and entrepreneur, it's been a challenge to really gauge how well I'm doing because unlike working for corporate America or working for another organization, I always had someone above me evaluating me. So I may have gotten like evaluations from people below me, but I always kind of had someone checking me, right? Or like helping me to be better. And now there's sort of nothing, like there are no guardrails. So I find myself looking for cues with my team to figure out if I am leading in the right way, if I'm continuing to motivate them and to inspire them. I find myself constantly evolving and learning as well. And, you know, I, I, I know that I learn the most when I fail. So I'm, you know, I can certainly say I've messed up many, many times over the last year and a half running my own thing of um, communicating in a certain way or being more effective. And I think that at the end of the day, like I do agree that there's a personal relationship between myself and, and my team. I, I also think that there's a mutual respect, right? So always kind of holding that space and being able to truly collaborate and, and to, to take all of that feedback so that really in the end, I, I mean, I feel like I'm learning so much more from leading this team than probably from what I'm actually giving and teaching, if that makes sense. 
Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Sharon. Anytime, Carl. (laughs) Bring us home. Well, I also want to say that I wasn't hiding. I was just thinking. (laughs) Get Um, the clarification. (laughs) You're welcome. I think that leadership is definitely an evolution, like Jai said. I also think that leadership is different per employee, right? So I think that I've also made a lot of mistakes when it comes to placing people in positions that they want, but they're not actually fit for, or like these people are so interested in what I'm doing and they want to help me, but are they the right people? Sometimes the answer is no, you have to be okay with it. Some people are just supporters. And I also think that you just have to really be careful about how you manage relationships, especially sometimes if it's people that you're friends with coming on your team. Like sometimes you may be, you may have to fire like a friend and that's a whole conversation about like does this mess up our friendship at the end of the day you know and also like you can't have favoritism when it comes to leading so if you do bring on a friend like now everybody's looking at you like oh so this is your friend you know it's like that nepotism thing so I think it leadership is hard especially as I'm fairly young I'm 27 I'm still getting used to all of this so as I'm growing as I'm learning I took a leadership class too I think that I'm getting better. I don't think that entrepreneurs, they quit their jobs, they built these million dollar businesses and they're the best boss ever. Like you're going to fail. You're going to get negative reviews. I think it's important to ask your employees how you are as a boss and be comfortable getting that negative feedback. Because I know when I personally worked in corporate America, like everybody was giving me feedback, but I was never giving my boss feedback. Nobody ever asked me like how he or she was doing. And I think having that two-way dialogue is super, super important, especially for new business owners, especially for new founders and startup um, companies, because you don't want to be, you know, a billion dollar company and everybody hates the CEO because you're an asshole. Sorry, I don't know if I can cuss, but because (laughs) you're an A. Not for children's ears. (laughs) Yes, please. Sorry. (laughs) So... Yeah, I think it's I think it's evolution. You have to really master like how strict do I want to be, how lenient do I want to be, how lenient can I be in order for people to see me as a leader and do what I need them to do. So it's it's all a balancing game. And I think as you grow and as you mature in your business and really place people in the right positions, you'll kind of figure out what your leadership style is. It's awesome. Well, thank you all for sharing your stories, words of wisdom, just being boss ladies. Thanks for having us. I mean, I'm sure we could keep talking forever, but I know we all got busy lives and probably want to go to sleep. Wait, hold on. It just feels like we're we're at therapy, but we're not hearing from the therapist. (laughs) Carl, how about you? Is the like? Why don't you answer one at least one of the questions you asked us? Wow! Um, (laughs) You just took over, Mara. I love it. total, Total boss. Uh, well, what question? There's a uh, leadership, there's low point, you know, you have a choice. <laughs> I like the leadership question. Me too. Yeah. Carl, what do you, what do you like as a boss? Oh my goodness. See, this is why I should have ended the conversation because now I got to answer this question. <laughs> you took too long. It's interesting because I... I'm going to take the easy road out. I can't really answer that question now because I'm in the middle of my own evolution with really defining what 
work for me actually is, right? And it's not about what I get paid to do, but what type of work I do. And in this process, I'm becoming much, I already thought I was, you know, empathetic in this, but I'm becoming much more in tune with trying to bring out the, and connect people to their best self. And that has actually changed how I am as a leader. I don't have a team now at my current job. I can see glimpses of this, but when I talk to people, you know, it kind of touches on a lot of what everybody said, right? It's about, it's not about like, oh, I have this problem. How do I solve it right now? It's like, okay, well, let's actually figure out why you have that problem. Because that could say a lot more than actually just, you know, fixing that slide on that deck. Totally. It look better. Right. So I took, kind of took the easy road because I'm not totally sure just yet. When I get a team, I will ask them what kind of boss I am and I'll report back to all mm-hmm. of you. Sounds like a plan. Tomorrow we have a on me. <laughs> no, it was it, it was such a good response. Actually, just just today, um, I was texting with somebody who who had some issues with her with somebody she manages, and it, the consensus was like, ask her why this is happening versus just like making a judgment. So that's really great advice. Thanks. Now I feel all, got all tingly inside. Thanks. You're a boss lady too, Carl. You are a boss yeah. lady. Okay. It's actually interesting. <laughs> I, I look. I've had quite a few women bosses in advertising. And if I actually think back, like all my bosses, except for one, have been people of color and most of them have been women. So I I count myself very lucky to be in that sort of circle um, and have a resource like where are the boss ladies to find more? (laughs) Hopefully we can hire. But yeah, thanks for now making me feel awkward. We may be a little awkward as as the host. (laughs) but I love it. It's good. That's what it was supposed to do. So, yeah, thank you all for that. And Mara, especially you for flipping it around on me. I can't wait to see what, you know, all of your companies do during post in the future. And you now have the MAPE network to lean on, get out there, to get anything you want out there, utilize. So thank you all. Thank you so much.